Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He comes to comes to us from France. I've had him on my show. Global System. And he's come back to talk about his new book. His name is Paul Kudenek. Last name is spelled C-U-D-E-N-E-C. And the new book, just published September 2023. The title of it is Converging Against the Criminocrats, Essays and Talks for the New International Resistance. And uh, very important, timely book. We were kind of just chatting in the pre-show about the book title and what's happening really in the world, this Ukraine situation. And there was just, he's in France, and there was just this huge banquet, this incredibly opulent, magnificent banquet between King Charles, newly minted King Charles, and Macron at Versailles, and just just the most beautiful building. It's just really an incredible building. But they're there to talk about carbon system, eat bugs, you know, this whole thing for the plebes. And uh, that, that was also interesting. And around the same time, Zelensky, the puppet who the U.S. has installed in Ukraine, is in New York. And here he is talking to these billionaire business leaders. There's a meeting of him with Kissinger, Robert Kraft, guys from Blackstone Group, uh, the ex-Google CEO, uh, people from J.P. Morgan. I mean, it's really off the charts. They have to be talking about this the ongoing, like, what's going on in Ukraine, that they've lost the war, and now they're going to try to rebuild it with our tax dollars, and there's money coming out, and we've already spent $120 billion with really not any auditing, to my knowledge. And um, so I think the book that he's put out, and I've read through it, I've read through the stuff I've, I've talked a lot of these issues with other guests too so i'm familiar with some of the material but it's really a timely book so i'm glad to have him back on the show so paul kudnak welcome back to the show thank you hello william <laughs> yeah hi. so for people who may not have heard our er earlier interview i th i think last time you said last time we talked you said you have written 11 or 12 books can you kind of talk about what i know this is a collection of essays but kind of what was happening and why you put this book together converging against the criminocrats Hmm. Sorry, I just missed that last bit. The, uh, the oh, it's, it's fine. Well, the book title is "Converging Against the Criminocrats." What did you? Uh, what was your kind of thinking when you put together this collection of essays? Okay. Well, uh, basically, it's um, it's a, it's the ma material that I've been writing in the course of 2023, um, which uh, I know the year hasn't finished yet. You know, maybe you should normally wait until the end of the year before you bring out a sort of best of 2023 book but uh, but I did notice that um, there was a, there was a, a very definite theme which I could see trace between with what I've been writing since January and um, well, I think the last one was even September actually and um, or end of August and so and uh, at one point during the year I started using the word criminocracy to describe um, the system which uh, you know like me, like a lot of other people, I've been fishing around trying to find the right term to describe this thing, you know, which there isn't really the political language to describe it. And I decided on that. And then slightly later, um, there were the last essay in the collection, I was talking about the need for a convergence against this system, cutting through all the, the language which describes the opposition, that we're all divided into these little subsections. But I feel that there is a sort of overriding sense of 
agreement on the broad moral basis on which we oppose rule by these 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 mafia people global mafia so so that's that's the brain the broader outline of the book and the uh, the rest of the essays sort of fit into that fit into that more or less yeah some of them talk about france about macron and uh, a lot of some of it is about censorship and the smearing of uh, opposition by um so so called you know so called left or the or, or members of the establishment and and it all i think it, it all comes together quite nicely if you if, if people read through the whole thing and you get a, a quite a shocking image of the sort of world we live in right and you've kind of lived through it firsthand you had the whole kind of uh revolt against the macron regime that was really uh stifled right i mean it was suppressed very aggressively right yeah, it was. And it was, um, I mean, there was this new pension reforms were brought in, but they were, you know, on every level, it was stifled. But people were allowed to protest, but no no attention was paid to that to start with. You know, people were going out every week in huge numbers, really huge numbers, peacefully. And uh, no, nothing changed, nothing changed. And the uh, majority of well, the Macron's party hadn't got a majority in Parliament to see it through. So they pushed it through using a special special get-out clause where you can just push things through without a vote, which makes the whole idea of the parliamentary elections a complete farce, you know. Right. And so people then started getting very angry, you know, and, and it sort of the, the, the ante was upped a little bit. But they just started attacking the protests. So they just wanted to put an end to it, and they just used the usual methods they've been using against the gilets jaunes, you know, the yellow vests. And all, all yeah, every political movement that has emerged in recent years, but... To a point where it was, you know, they're attacking trade unionists who are not. It's, it's, it wasn't. It wasn't the black bloc, you know. It was very ordinary working people out there trying to stand up for democracy, effectively. Right. I know it's incredible. So, like they, and that kind of uh, something similar here in the states. Maybe not as much about uh, retirement funds or anything like that, but just here the kind of dissent against the vote and things like that. They, it's been brutally suppressed. Like these people have gotten 20, 30 year jail sentences like they're out. They'll never be out dissenting publicly as long as those uh, sentences stand. So you see that Mm. kind of suppression here in the States. Yeah, I mean, I think it's happening everywhere. I mean, this is this is the moment we're at when the um, the illusion of democracy is being ditched and uh, they're going just going, you know, they just they've taken off the velvet gloves and they're just uh, Seizing this narrow window of opportunity, as they called it, with uh, as Klaus Schwab called it when COVID happened, they're seizing this opportunity to try and crush any any sort of resistance to their world government, basically. Right, and it's still kind of going. They're still trying to get more power. The uh, World Health Organization is trying to still implement things to subvert local sovereignty. It's really an incredible yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, it's really accelerating, unfortunately, and. Um, yeah, Britain's just getting this um, online safety act, I think they call it. You know, the usual new euphemisms. Safety, it's for your own safety. Well, basically, it's a sort of censorship act to stop stop any dissenting voices being heard. And and the same thing's happening elsewhere. I think Canada as well, I read. And, um, you know, and France here as well. They've, they're, they're, they've been talking about, you know, stopping, stopping forms of uh, people who encourage revolt or something like that there's some formulation you know that it makes it sound like it's a it's a bad thing that has got to be ended that people aren't happy with the government and on uh, speaking out against its policies 
Right. So you see this worldwide assault on, on free speech and actually reputational damage. You see this Russell Brand situation. He was actually really kind of talking about issues that were important to people. And they just went right after him really uh, viciously. And, and also the women didn't come out with their real names, too. So they're really trying to take out dissenting voices uh, one by one, if not all in wholesale. Yeah. Have you followed the the brand uh, situation, the Russell Brand? Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's completely wrong that somebody should be uh, treated as being guilty of something without, without, you know, without being proven guilty. I mean, uh, you know, if if, if you're going to say that he's done these things, you could prove it in a court. That's the way it is. Until then, you can't deprive somebody of their livelihood on the basis of an allegation or several allegations. I mean, there are people uh, people who in Britain who are quite suspicious of him because he is such a celebrity and is mixed in certain circles and you know they think he's you know he's, he's maybe not quite what he claims to be or whatever but i've no idea i don't know the bloke so but it's in principle it's wrong to uh, to treat someone to you know find them guilty without evidence so yeah right no no court process no no doubt it's no not yet i mean something, yeah. there may be you know but yeah for the moment he's, he's he's done nothing wrong and yeah and you're right he has been said what he's been saying has been this has attracted a lot of interest from uh, from people with with the same sort of views as me. So I mean, it could be a way of you know taking out somebody who's um, very high profile. Like, you know, you wonder if it's it's really about frightening everybody else into shutting up. Well, if even he, if that happens to him, you know, what's going to happen to me if I speak out? I'm going to lose my job and my money and and uh, you know all my friends and you know it's it's just part of that same strategy of fear and you know. Right. No, it was incredible. There was an incredible letter from the UK government to Rumble saying that, mm. you know, this is what he's done and we want him kicked off of Rumble. And it, uh, it was, they, Rumble said no to their credit. But it, it really is incredible that these governments are doing that. And you mentioned in your book the French using the term intellectual terror to describe people who are really just independent thinkers. Can you kind of talk about the application of that and uh, what's going on in that regard? Yeah, well, they started using this term suddenly, as <laughs> if um, as if as if there was some validity to it. Without any, you know, an intellectual terrorist wasn't somebody who was an intellectual who was proposing terrorism or recommending it. It was somebody who, who had a message that was beyond the pale, or you know, outside of the um, the normal perceived limits of free speech. But but in in France, it's become. You know, it's not, they're not even really, they're not even talking about the uh, sort of um, anti-vax movement or the freedom movement. This is, you know, I think that was really aimed at the, at the left. The opposition in uh, in France to Macron is a, a sort of, um, the left-wing opposition, the main, op the, the leading one. There's also the, the right-wing opposition. But it was, you know, it's, an it's an incredible type of language to be using when talking about people who are, who are not, what would previously have been considered on the fringes of, of, of political discourse. They're just, they're just political opponents. You know? Right. No, it's pretty intense. Like you're, a, you're a terrorist. That's kind of what they're saying. Like it's, they're obviously not doing anything physical or anything like that, but uh, it's just incredible that they're, they're, they're laying out that kind of language and it's kind of here in the States too. So you see the kind of global thing. But also yeah. they kind of are operating on, and you mentioned this, is like these states of emergency so that it gives them more power 
Um, and they had that here. That's what they did with COVID, right? More emergency. Mm-hmm. We can do this. So it seems to be a global stratagem, a global, you know, uh, thing to do to to gain more power. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, that was what was uh, that was what was launched really with with the Great Reset, as they called it. You know, which is um, which is as you know, is not a conspiracy theory. It's the name of a book by. Uh, by Klaus Schwab, which was an, right. an, a project which was launched by King Charles III, as he is now. So it's um, although part of it is about um, part of it is about this moving us into a transhumanist future, uh, the fourth industrial revolution, impact capitalism. We probably talked about that last time, and uh, but also the in order to achieve that, in order to force us into their smart cities. They have to take away our freedoms because they know that if they give people the choice, they'll say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be in my every move monitored and surveyed by uh, the state. I don't want to, I don't want to be uh, on a social credit system where I, where I lose brownie points under, from the, in the state computer system if I criticise the government or the local authorities or if I, if I, if I misgender somebody or if I uh, have the wrong opinions on this and that. So in order to, in order to push it through, They've got. They've got to use the uh, the iron fist. I mean, that's what's happening. And I think the same. Basically, the same. The system has done the same thing, because because from from what I can gather from my historical research, you know, the, the Nazi and fascist regimes, and probably the and the, and the Soviet regimes, were all part of the same general world system. I mean, I'm not the only one to say that, and I, I'm pretty convinced of this. So I think it just fall, it goes into modes where it's in certain places and at certain times, but now it happens to be everywhere at once. It goes into this ultra-draconian mode in order to, uh, uh, to accelerate its project and to, uh, and to protect its own power and to uh, cast aside any, any form of opposition or resistance that might hold it up. Right. So, yeah. And, and you state that this kind of old system of global power, I mean, the BRICS, you mentioned about the BRICS and how that is it may be perceived as a realignment but it also can be perceived as just um a more another power grab right yeah yeah i mean i know it's i mean if you're not for people who aren't familiar with the sort of line i'm taking it i know it must just sound sort of crazy stuff you know i think there's um there is whole um there is one global system I'm increasingly convinced. I mean, I'm convinced this is the case, partly through historical research I've done, where, where I've seen the way that this was built up, and um, you know, and other people's books I've read as well. But, I mean, the British Empire was the one of the was the big step forward for this, which was globalization. The British Empire was globalization. When it wasn't called that, it was called the British Empire. But uh, you know, and, and it is just. And there was also an informal British Empire, which was a sphere of influence of, um, of uh, the city of London, really, and uh, various banking dynasties around the world that, that, was, that, was, that, that brought up various mining concerns and, and invested in railways and lent money to governments all around the world. And um, particularly Rothschilds, you know, I've, I've done a bit of research on them. And um, when, I, when I, was, I was thinking about BRICS and what it represented, and, I, and it struck me that the, the, they have a history in all of those, of those original country, countries. I know it's being expanded now, so I haven't researched all the other countries that are now joining. But Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa have all got 
of what histories of um, strong connections to the Rothschilds, who were very influential in building up the British Empire and globalization. And um, yeah, so I mean, I, it seems quite clear to me that there's there is one there is one big Rothschildian system which hides behind France. It has to hide because if, if people won't, you know, no, people wouldn't accept it. They can't say, they can't say to everyone in the world, oh yeah, actually, you know, we're not really a democracy. It's, it's, it's a monopoly, yes. And there's this one, this is one group of this one family, basically, where there are accomplices and a lot, fair, a fair few accomplices and different families and so on. But a sort of a, you know, a gangster, a gangster family of families that rolls, that rolls the whole world. They can't say that because... Right. So, so it has to be hidden behind various institutions and different politicians and organisations. But when you look at um, what they're saying, all these different, all these different institutions and organisations, they're all saying exactly the same thing, which is what we saw with COVID. I think that was when it became really obvious to a lot of people. It's exactly the same messaging coming out, and it's the same thing on you know combating climate change, and it's the same thing on the whole woke thing, the transgenderism. And, and, and it's the same thing being on the same thing in Ukraine in, in much of the world. Obviously, that wouldn't be the case in Russia and China. But, uh, you know, but we can. And it's the same language they use. And when I look at these documents, sometimes, unfortunately, they'll wade through them. And it's, it's the same style of writing that they use, the same key words, the same chapter headings. You know, it's always um, uh, impact and innovation and sustainability and equity. And it's. And this is businesses as well as um, as well as international institutions and international institutions like the United Nations and the World Economic Forum, of course, and all of those. So, um, I don't think it's very well hidden, to be honest. But I think that maybe they got complacent because nobody seemed to have noticed, <laughs> you know. So they, they yeah. Stuck. And that woke dogma you talk about is really kind of like another way to obtain compliance and obedience, right? Like you better do this or you're going to lose your job or you're going to do that. So yeah, it's, it's part of the kind of uh, herding process that's going on um, all over the world. Really. And I think it's interesting. You mentioned like France is really a co colonial government. Like that is, it's like, it's not really a true democratic uh, structure. It's just like colonizing their own people. Yeah, um, I think that that's a really interesting observation. Yeah, it does feel like that. I, I mean, that's where, yeah, so something I was saying about the Macron uh, government's response to the uh, response to the protests in France this year and previously that it's, you know, they're treating the French population like they used to treat the Algerian population. <laughs> right, right. And he's, and for people who don't know, he worked for Rothschild and mm -hmm. Co., right? Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's well recorded. I mean, I, I don't think that the ED on the end of work is uh, is really operative, but um, yeah, there's a strong link in any case. Right, and there's tons of associations between King Charles and the Rothschild family too in yeah, Britain. Yeah, yeah, so and and uh, something quite amusing from this uh, banquet at Versailles that you mentioned, I saw in a French report on it that they uh, yeah, it was describing all the opulence of the meal and how all this number of showing all the servants laying out the tables and. And they announced that um, the, the the wine that they were being served, the red wine, was a um, Mouton Rothschild, and that uh, King Charles himself had apparently designed the label, which is rather, wow. it's just rather telling, isn't it? I mean, why why would he be doing that? You know, why, surely the 
Right. So you just see these connections between them. And like the one of the Rothschilds is around hanging out with uh, Abramovich, who was kind of like involved. In, well, she was associated with Podesta, who's here in the States, who has a $250 billion climate change fund that he can uh, move anywhere he wants. So you see the climate and the COVID emergencies as uh, solidifying and, and uh, bolstering these criminocrats. They're really criminals. I mean, Biden is an obvious criminal. He's been busted. I mean, his family is bribe taking bribes or taking money from people outside of the United States. It's obvious. It's mm. incredible. Yeah, they are criminal. I mean, that's, that's that's what's important. That's why, you know, I thought it was important to use that name. It's not just a collection of people who have managed to become very, very wealthy and powerful by hard work or, you know, cleverness. They're, it's actually because they are, you know, they're, 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 they're crooks. <laughs> right, they're crooks. Yeah, we're run by crooks. I mean, you know, the, the, the beginnings of the Rothschild dynasty is filled with kind of uh, scandalous, scurrilous behavior. I think what they did is I think there was a big win they had at the Battle of Waterloo where they deliberately told people back in London that the British Empire lost. So they bought, they sold all of their stocks and stuff. And then but they bought it, Rothschild bought it up, and then it turns out that they actually won at Waterloo. And so yeah. stocks began. Have you heard that story? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be that he had, um, well, they, they were known for having advanced knowledge because they had their spies, you know, their, their, their messengers running around all of their own ships to take take this so they were first in the news so when when he appeared when Rothschild appeared on the london stock exchange and started with a grim face and started selling selling all his his shares in the in the british government everyone thought oh you know he, he knows we'll follow him and uh, yeah but it was just a, apparently it was just a trick and uh, yeah, he bought them all up really cheap and that was the beginning of their uh, you know that was their sort of big step forward into um, becoming the dominant force that they became Right. Yeah, no, it's it's really incredible. And you kind of go into some story, things about what people can do to resist uh, these kind of things, right? I mean, you have ideas about what people should be doing in preparation for these new onslaughts. Can you talk about that? Um, what do I say that people could do? Well, I think we need to, um, I think we need to come together and talk about what we're talking about now, really. I mean, this is... Because uh, most people haven't got a clue, have they? Most people out there haven't got a clue. They have no, they have no idea that there's anything quite seriously wrong with the world. And, you know, and, and if, you, if, you, if I was to go straight up to somebody, a, a, a general person in the street, and start telling them all this, they would just, you know, walk away and think I was a complete nutter. So it has to start, really, by talking talking to other people who are fairly well-versed in it and and grow from there, I think. And we have to, we have to, so I've, I talk in the book about building an, an international resistance movement, which is perhaps a big term, but I think it, it will become that. So this is the start of it, is actually to have a clear idea of what we're up against and not to be afraid to say, to describe what we're, what we're, against, what, what we're up against, not to hide behind, you know, euphemisms and half-truths and also not to fall into some, some sort of stupid um, racist talk about it all being one, members of one race that are behind this, that all, being all members of one race that are guilty of uh, something or other. You know, be very clear to me about them um, and to name the exact groups of people that are involved because, you know, otherwise... Um, Otherwise, they're just going to uh, not not be visible, and if they're not visible, they can't really be properly counted. 
Right. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, I think you mentioned it right at the beginning, like these huge international organizations are the ones that are really our threats. WEF, WHO, World Bank, BlackRock. I mean, it's not all Jews, right? It's those, there might be some, but uh, it's really yeah, just it's not. I mean, most them. Jewish people in the world are not. You know nothing to do with it, obviously. It's, and and to, it's, it's to fall into into the, into into their trap, really, to start to start talking like that, because then obviously most, you know, a lot of people, particularly Jewish people, or a lot of other people, are going to think, "Oh God, you know, they're they're, they're anti-Semitic. We don't want anything to do with them." And they'll always accuse people of being anti-Semitic who criticise the system in any way, because all conspiracy theories are now regarded as as, as inherently anti-semitic it seems from what i've gathered so no i think that's true i've been i've been trying they tried to take me out for being anti-semitic i didn't know what they were talking about but the reality is is that that was just a means to kind of throw me off you know i think that was it that was one of the things and so people shouldn't fall into that trap you know no you're gonna be you know i don't think bill gates is a jew i don't think he's jewish no no he's polished no, but you know, it doesn't really matter if he is. I mean, if if we're talking about actual individuals, you know, it's not a question of labeling them according to ethnicity or religion, is it? We can be quite concrete about the people involved, and you know, it's just you know, on, on that level, yeah. So people have to be very wary, but yeah, I think that the information is it. Like you talk about that, you don't want a revolution, you want a revelation. So if people know that these agendas are taking place behind you know, the media or behind the curtain, so to speak, that's really kind of the start of change because their plans are very rough. Like you talk about the smart cities and uh, curtailing freedoms and censorship, like we're headed, if we're not in a dystopia now, it's going to be a dystopia if their dreams are made real, right? Yeah, and they're advancing into it very quickly uh, or trying to, you know. I mean, I just, I think there's some, some signs that there are, cracks are appearing particularly with this um i think the transgender uh issue may be a bridge too far that they're trying to quickly impose this on everybody that i don't you know there's a lot of resistance to that particularly amongst women obviously because they're sort of being cancelled as a as a sex there is no no such thing as women anymore right right and, no it's uh, incredible and uh yeah, so that's. I think I've seen some. I'm seeing some cracks there. So I just hope that it it spreads further afield. People, I mean, in England, there's been a lot of resistance to the beginnings of sort of smart city type arrangements. You know, they're building these uh, 15 minutes in the Ules zone around London, which is and all the hundreds of uh, of the surveillance cameras that read number plates to cut you know to stop people in in uh polluting vehicles so poorer people with uh, without the latest type of cars you know stop them from uh traveling into london without paying uh, fees and being fined and so on and people have been breaking vandalizing the the cameras all around the yeah all around london uh so uh, so there's They've been you know, taking yeah they're taking them down right they're like yeah taking, there's like one guy i saw with a garage full of the cameras so there's definitely some uh, resistance there. And those are things that are not voted on, right? Those are just determined that the public will have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, both the, both the main parties are in favor of it. I mean, you know, the, this, the Labour Party mayor was instructed to, to go to, to, to put it in by the, um, by the Conservative Party government, from what I can understand. But I mean, it's not, it's, you know, you know what it's like. Um, it's not the part, the two party system is just a, it's just a 
a pretend democracy that the real decision making doesn't take place at that level. Uh, yeah, no doubt. It's a uniparty here in the States. I don't think there's any doubt about it. That's why you see this uniformity between COVID and Ukraine and things like that. It's and climate. It's just the same main agendas are distributed. There's very few dissenting people within the uh, American Congress, in my opinion. So most people just go along with whatever's whatever mm -hmm. the financiers really are. The financiers, the people with the money are really the ones pulling the strings. Yeah, they do seem to be. I mean, the um, yes, they are. I mean, I don't, I'm going to say they seem to be. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's yeah, you know, it's the same in the you know, well, the British Parliament. There was one. Um, there's one MP who's been who's been speaking out. Who's um, Andrew Bridgen, but who's a Conservative MP. But, um, I mean, nobody else. He seems to be completely on completely on his own in the whole, whole of the House of Commons. So. But in order to be MPs, these these people have to be selected by their party to be MPs. They're not really directly selected by the people, are they? They're you know they're they're the parties, the party's little managers that are put forward in a certain seat and uh, and they take their place. So their their loyalty is to to the party infrastructure, and the party's loyalty is to the people that pay it. And the, you know, there's right. it's very far from being a democracy, unfortunately. I'd love to see a real democracy. We'd live in a very different world if we actually had a real democracy. Really, we, we really would. And Bridgen was interesting, too, because I remember him stating that he would, somebody offered him money. Like, what's your number? And he wouldn't take it. So it makes me think that a lot of these other MPs, mm -hmm. probably people here in the States, were offered something to... Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were. I mean, they're either if they haven't got anything to blackmail them with, you know, they they bribe them. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's all yeah. One nation under blackmail. I think the U.S. is just all mm. these guys have been blackmailed by mm. a lot of other things. But yeah, but Bridgen very courageous and actually talking about the whole you know poisoning by the shots and that whole thing. So to his credit, like and, and yeah. you call it a global inquisition. I think that's a correct word. I think it's almost like an inquisition where part of the process, the process itself of grinding you down is part of the punishment, like select selecting you out and intimidating and stuff like that. And it wasn't just him too. It's a C Malotra, who's also from the from the UK. Uh, you mentioned New Zealand. What's going on there? And mm. I mean. Our Dern is really an incredible character too, because I think she ended up in the states, right? Isn't she? I forgot where she went. But yeah. Who is that? Did you say? Uh, our uh, Nicole Ardern or Ardern from from New Zealand. I think she left oh. the prime minister, and then yes. she's like, uh, "Oh, is she in America now? I didn't know." Yeah, that. I think she ended up in America. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, she was just she was just another global. I mean, she was just another puppet, like um, okay. very much out of the same uh, same drawer as. Um, Trudeau and Macron and yeah, Zelensky even maybe yeah 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 all these they're sort of little they're sort of you know there were link there were links between um with the the, um, the WF started out as a sort of management forum they called it management forum and it's like all these all these political leaders are sort of like executives young 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 managers that have been through a you know been picked out and groomed to take over. You know, the management of certain countries. That's all they are, really. They're, they're the CEO, aren't they, of, uh, of, of Britain or America or France or New Zealand or whatever. They're just uh, ultimately obeying orders from head office, whatever that is. Yeah, I think Biden and Harris are uh, like that. I don't think there's any independence at all. I don't think uh, 
at least here in the states. And on this, some of these other guys, if you look up this other guy, Ramaswamy, who's uh, got a lot of traction in the media here in the states, his legacy he's just been puppeteered by Soros and all these other people back in the day, almost like he was groomed, like groomed from a very early age. Uh, so, and he's got it all down. So they must have found somebody who's a good talker and intelligent and put him up. I think that's what he really is. I mean, I think a lot of these guys are. If you look at the career of like Bill Clinton, he was picked out of nowhere, but he was a good talker and like he just uh, always did what they told. I mean, they, uh, there's probably the Rockefellers groomed him from a very early age. It's really not. A lot of people can't believe that, that these guys are lack so much independence. Mm, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, you know, they put a lot of effort into the creating the narrative, don't they? Another Klaus, word, uh, Klaus Schwab word, narrative. The great narrative. Yeah. Great narrative. The penet what do you say? Penetrate the cabinets and all that weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, changing what it means to be human. That was another one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, no, he's such a. It's incredible. They're trying to bring back the whole like uh, more shots, more, you know, fear, more, you know, lockdowns, things like that. It's off the charts. Yeah. Well, that's all they've got. That's all they've got. They've just got more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably, mm, I don't know if it's a good sign, but it's a sort of it smacks a little bit of desperation. I mean, when are they going to get around to the. Uh, the alien invasion scare, you know, that's right. uh, that'll be the last, uh, the last card to be pulled from from da down the sleeve, won't it? You know, I don't think there's any doubt. You see a lot of it on the news. There's supposedly some disclosure from the U.S. government, which is really sketchy. So I think that they're really trying, but they really are trying to, you know, scare the public, control the public. It's really off the mm. charts. Um. With these emergencies, you know, the, the forever war, kind of like almost like 1984, like these things are going to just be there forever. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's uh, it's what it looks like. Like there's a strategy, you know, they called it the strategy of tension in Italy in the uh, 19, late 70s and the 1980s, which was the um, the terrorist bombing campaigns, which turned out to have been uh, orchestrated by uh, the Italian state and uh, on behalf of. Uh, NATO from the uh, you know the Gladio network. I'm sure you know all about that. Yeah, so, yeah, sure. so it's the same you know it's the same idea, isn't it? It's um, creating fear, making people feel insecure, and um, so they've they've become malleable because they're you know they haven't got they're frightened. They turn to the government for help or hope, <laughs> and they're also searching out saviors, and they're very easily very easily latch on to a, a savior who steps out and seems to seems to be on the point of uh, rescuing them, which is, you know, you think of what happened after the depression in Germany. Suddenly Adolf Hitler stand, you know, comes forward and says he's going to make Germany great again, whatever, whatever he said at right. the time. But I think, so think, I think we've got to be also very careful for those of us who are in the current regime. We've got to be very careful and looking at who's coming forward as the, the answer, the solution to all this. And, you know, you've got, to, you've got to keep your wits about you and not, just jump on the first bandwagon that comes into sight. Yeah, I mean, how how can we how can the average person, if there's vote fraud or they're just not counting people or installing people, what what's the means of uh, resistance or affecting real change? What do you what are your ideas on that? Well, <laughs> I haven't got a I haven't got a, an action plan. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, you know, I despair sometimes. I think, what can we do? What what can you do about this? So well, all I come down to is the idea of the first thing to do is let people know what's going on. I'm trying to, trying to spread what I've learned and find out things and spread it and to uh, link up with other people who are doing likewise. But it's quite difficult when the, when social media are so stifled and the rest of it is hard. It's hard to get your, your voice heard, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you've found this, that, you know, oh. and it's not like that it was, was five years ago. Yeah. Hmm? I've, I've, it's, it's a worse kind of censorship because not only was I stopped, the history of all that stuff has been taken offline. So I assumed I had this ridiculous, naive assumption that all the work I'd done would, would be available on these sites like YouTube and that's not the case. So it's like, it's all, it's a really kind of a techno book burning in addition to censorship. Yeah. So it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, that makes it very difficult, but I think, I think the best bet is really is to, is to, is to do things in real life, even though I'm now speaking to you via the internet. But I think the, uh, I think increasingly we're going to have to do this is to uh, talk to the, people that live around us uh, you know friends family neighbors people in the local town where you where, wherever it is people live uh because they can't they can't stop you doing that in the way that they can stop you uh, uh putting things online or on facebook or twitter or whatever uh, i mean obviously they tried to that was it that was an interesting aspect of the covid thing wasn't it they, they were told people not to talk to each other or even go anywhere near each other and to right. You know, which is, which is to me, it was quite obvious at the time, was because they didn't want people swapping notes and saying, "Well, this is a bit odd, isn't it? This is a load of rubbish." There's nobody, I don't know anyone who's dead. You know, what's what's all this about? And so, you know, oh, no, you've got to be scared of each other as well as scared of the of the the enemy and the, and the virus and uh, and the weather and you know every, everything. Right, right, scared of everything. So we have to do the opposite of that. They're yeah. trying. They're just, clearly, I think all governments, maybe going back to the beginning of time have all created a system of fear for compliance sake and uh, to keep people in their place. I think that's always, there's always Mm. some kind of weird narrative or story about something that's going to happen to you or some kind of scapegoat or some kind of enemy over there. That's really not your actual leader is the bad guy. It's somebody else. Yeah. It's always somebody else. Yeah. Obviously you you need your leader to protect you from the other one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, George Bush Jr. did all that. Like, I'm here to keep you safe. And then the strategy of tension was just all these, like, fake uh, the terrorist bombings. Like, the, the whole administration was full of that. It was actually a global kind of war. Uh, but mm-hmm. a lot of those things were puppeteered by Intel, just like what you mm-hmm. said in the Italian strat- mm-hmm. strategy oh, of tension. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've read quite a bit about those. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's all part of, which is, I sound, it's almost difficult to believe. If you think if they've, if they've been engineering world wars, then yeah. they're not going to, you know, not going to hold back from engineering terrorist attacks, are they? So. No, no doubt. And there's there's strange things that have, have happened in Israel under Netanyahu, and in Russia under Putin. These bombings and things that benefited mm-hmm. these these politicians instead of like actually hindering their their careers and enhanced them because people wanted the safety, right? They wanted Netanyahu on the right to protect them from stuff so very suspicious things have happened all over the world really so yeah yeah people have and, to be aware of that stuff um, and there's always um there's always this thing that there's a there's emergency to be rushed through 
just coincidentally they've always drawn it up just before the the bombing attack and then it's oh yes we got here's one we made earlier you know now's the time to launch this right the patriot uh patriot act was already ready and so then they added just like hey we got mm. this ready and there's here's this uh, terrorist attack how fortunate i mean it's, mm. it's really something else and it's uh so the same techniques are going to be used in the future by these criminals criminocrats and all this stuff so people have to really be careful paul we are at the 40 minute mark is there anything you'd like to add or anything i missed before we wrap this up no no it's fine thanks for me yeah yeah thank yeah. you for having me having having me on yeah thanks for coming back and again the uh where can people reach out to you where can people get the book it's still there where can people reach out to you and where can people get the book Oh, it's um, it's available as a free PDF actually uh, on winteroak.org.uk, along with uh, lots of other books. Uh, also, you can actually buy. Um, well, there's links on the site. If you go to the people go to the books section on the site, there's links to where you can you can buy the books if you prefer a hard copy. So yeah, and there's lots of articles at Winter Oak as well. So um, Winter Oak, I'll put a link to that. And people have any questions or want to follow up with you? Is that the best place to contact you? Yeah, there's contact details on there. Yeah, yeah, great, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time again. The title of the book is "Converging Against the Criminocrats: Essays and Talks for the New International Resistance" by Paul Kudnick. Last name spelled C-U-D-E-N-E-C. Just published September 2023. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. Okay, stay there. Stay there.